this is FYI, a series of podcasts featuring the biggest challenges in marketing and advertising telling their stories. These are honest and open conversations and will break down the barriers as to the who, the why, the what and the how of best-in-class marketeers from a variety of different sectors. Each week we'll be profiling a different person, learning about their journey and having a bit of fun along the way. This week's podcast guest is Lisa Target, UK General Manager of Tribe, the self-serve marketplace that connects brands with everyday influencers. After working for some of the world's leading publishers, including The Telegraph, The Daily Mail and Microsoft, Lisa took the leap and joined Tribe, a startup focused on connecting brands with micro-influencers at speed, scale and at a fraction of the cost. Lisa talks to us about all things influencer marketing, how she got to where she is today and also the future for both brands and influencers alike. My name is Chris Gunn, Managing Director and Co-Founder of Love Gun, and this is FYI with Lisa Target. Lisa, how's it going? It's good. It's good as it can be. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you very well. So um, with each of these podcasts, we'd like to jump straight in with some quick fire questions. You ready? I am. Good. Summer or winter? Summer. That's good because it leads into Obviously. my <laughs> it, that leads into my next question. So that's good. By the pool or by the beach? By the pool, sand is annoying. Yeah, and I'm Australian. So. I I uh, I agree. Uh, would you rather have no hands or no feet? I asked this one before. No hands. Okay. You'd rather have no hands. Yeah. Okay. Nice. All right, you don't sound sure, but that's fine. That's so difficult. Um, Melbourne or London? <laughs> uh, London. Okay, nice, right answer. Uh, Marmite or Vegemite? Vegemite. <laughs> uh, what's your favourite holiday destination? Ooh, anywhere in summer with a pool. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, oh, favourite holiday destination? I don't know, but in general the criteria is good food, not expensive, uh, great weather, access to water. Okay. So nice. That's a lot of places. All right, we'll go. We'll go Lanzarote then. You know. Okay. Brits are bored. <laughs> yeah, we'll go. Go tomorrow uh, if you could. Um, what is your favourite social media platform? Instagram. Okay. Why? I'm just a sucker for a pretty picture. To be fair. Yeah. No. no I think. I think. Um, it's hard. It's Instagram or WhatsApp. Okay, WhatsApp. yeah. Uh, we won't we won't count WhatsApp. You won't count WhatsApp. Okay, no. in that case, yeah, it's got to be Instagram. No, good choice, good choice. We've had a lot of TikToks recently, and I reckon people are just trying to be current. I don't believe them for a minute. Um, what would be your last meal? Mm, something. It's a probably really cliche answer, actually. Probably something my grandma makes. Oh, that's nice. She's Croatian and everyone's grandma cooks the best food, so... Okay, what... Can you just give us a Croatian dish that grandmas make? Yeah, she makes... My favourite thing she makes is called sadma, which is a cabbage roll stuffed with, like, pork and rice and, like, a paprika broth. Okay. Sounds rank, but it's, like, ferment... I love anything fermented, pickled, so she... There's these big barrels of cabbage heads in her garage and uh, nice. the, the cabbage leaves and then makes it. Can you make it yourself? 
it all comes down to that the barrels in your garage and I just don't have the space no, at the moment. You need, you need a garage. Okay, nice. I'm on a, I'm on a journey of pickling, so I'll get there. Nice. But you don't like pickled onion monster much? No, I hate pickled onion monster <laughs> much. I don't get it. Yeah, no, they'll grow on you. Just keep going, just keep going. Uh, yeah. what, what's, your, uh, what's your nickname? Targs. Targs, okay. Unfortunately, my nickname was, was BLT uh, growing up. And um, I just thought it was because my initials were LT. And then my swimming coach, he would come up with it, said, no, it was big Lisa Target because I did hit PV before other girls. Oh, my God. Really savage when you think about it. But at the time, yeah. I had a cool nickname. Well, so, yeah, I mean, that is, <laughs> that is very, very savage, especially for a teacher. <laughs> a teacher calling you BLT. But BLT is a great nickname. It rolls off the tongue. And a great, yeah, and a great sandwich. So that's what it's about, right? Lastly, are you a reader? I am. What was the last great book you read that you'd recommend? So many. There are so many. One that I do remember was Red Notice by Bill Bryson. I think no, gosh, no, it was Bill something else. It's all right. I, I I can I can I can cut parts. Don't worry. <laughs> Do you want to? Hook? I don't need to cut. I'm happy with everyone to know how much of a ditz I am. Um, <laughs> but it was. It's a book. Um, it's a book about a guy who started a bunch of like hedge funds in Russia. So he's mm. an American guy. Went over and basically revealed a lot of shady behaviour that Putin has been up to. Um, and got a lot of people in trouble and got himself in a lot of trouble as well. So it's almost, wow. it reads like a spy thriller, but it is um, non-fiction and incredible. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That sounds right up my street. I love a, uh, yeah, I love really anyth- anything to do with Russia or, and you know, com- mm. communist states yeah. uh, fascinates me. So I'll, I'll give that a go. Right, that's the end of the quick fire. Relatively, uh, relatively easy there. I think you did well. You know, especially going off on a tangent about pickled things. So, thanks so much for coming on. I mean, when we were when we were planning these series of podcasts, we there were a few areas we wanted to cover off in the marketing and advertising world, and one was influencer marketing. And you are the queen of influencer marketing, so I hear. <laughs> so let's kick off. What is influencer marketing? I would say the simplest definition for that is is. It's just like word of mouth marketing on steroids, really. You know, it's exactly what we've been looking at and tracking that we know has incredible return for brands, which is getting your most influential customers, your biggest brand advocates, to find more people like them who will also have a great experience with your brand. Okay. You know, it sits, for me, it sits somewhere in sort of loyalty um, and yeah, customer loyalty marketing and, and PR, mm-hmm. but it's just been supercharged by social media because all of a sudden we have public peer-to-peer uh, domains where people can share the roles that brand plays in their life. Yeah. Um, so all of a sudden it's this burgeoning channel. Okay. So what would you say qualifies you as an influencer? What, you know, as in terms of the business you do, who would you clarify a influencer? Well, I would say anyone that can compel um, an audience. You know, you've got to have an audience for one. So if you've got a blank account with uh, no followers, <laughs> I unfortunately don't think you might be an influencer. Mm. You know, with our platform, we we specialise at Tribe with micro-influencers and we start that at 3,000 followers. Okay, yeah. Um, because we think that that's sort of a broad enough audience for, you know, if you've carved out a niche for yourself and you've attracted 
3,000 followers, it means that you, you've got something to say that's of value to enough people outside of your friendship group. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of, you know, it was an arbitrary number to begin with, but it's made sense over time because, I mean, I can't crack the 1,200 mark because obviously I've got nothing valuable to say on Instagram. <laughs> However, <laughs> you've got these amazing creatives and bakers and, you know, every conceivable kind of creative niche out there can attract an audience um, and retain an audience. So I'd say anyone that has been able to do that and can hold an audience's attention has influence. Okay, so can a brand be an influencer or does it have to be a person? Definitely. Okay. Definitely. And when you think about, I mean, all the brands who get any kind of organic traction are mega influencers. I mean, no one has to follow brands. Yeah. The, the best thing about social media is it's opt-in. Mm. You choose who to follow and you can curate your experience. So... I think if brands have followers, then they're doing they're doing something well. Yeah. So you mentioned Tribe, uh, who obviously you currently work for. What do so what do Tribe do, and how do they do it differently in terms of influencer marketing? Hmm. Well, we were we're probably about four years old now. Um, launched in the UK a couple of years ago, but originally Australian startup founded by a what I like to refer to as a D-list celebrity in Australia, so like an Ant and Deck kind of personality. And he his name is Jules London and he kind of started building up a lot of influence on Facebook pages um, to do with his radio program, which is like the Fifi and Jules show or something like that. And, um, and yeah, he, he kind of realised that brands were, were really interested in working with creators and celebrities who had amassed these audiences on social media. Mm-hmm. They were trying to get involved in it and um, he just found that the experience between brand and creator was super clunky. So originally he thought, okay, well, if you can just put a platform in and avoid all the DMs and emails and back and forth and all the, you know, agencies and PR people and producers, et cetera, and talent agents that are involved and make it a clean process, then you've, you know, I guess dramatically improved efficiencies between making these campaigns happen. And once he did that and, and created a essentially a briefing platform direct from brand to celebrity, um, what he realized that if brand managers all of a sudden have their time back in how they can interact and get um, their message out to social audiences, then you don't need to go to celebrities anymore mm-hmm. um, because they were doing that to maximize their reach and impact. And all of a sudden, in the same time it took a brand to collaborate with one celebrity influencer, all of a sudden, in the same amount of time, they could work with hundreds of everyday people. And often that was going to have far more impact because ultimately social media is about interacting with friends and family and it's not meant to be just another broadcast channel um the way i think about it is you know kim kardashian can't respond to every comment but someone with three thousand followers when 10 or 20 percent of their audience interact with their content they actually can um with meaning they know what what people want to hear they know if your brand's going to resonate in that space um and they have far more persuasion over an audience who really trust them Mm. so kind of flipped the model on its head and and focused on working with you know 100 creators in place of one which would get you the same social reach but for far less of the cost and also much more of the impact and then I guess what we realized over time was that creators just want to create you know you don't need to pre-select them and um, oftentimes in that briefing process Um, of brands looking for people to interact with, they found that they didn't often know what they wanted. So we we flipped the model on its head and said, anyone that wants to respond to briefs and is already an advocate and and a real customer of this brand, 
they'll happily go out and buy the content, the, the product and shoot the content up front. Um, and so that was the kind of second thing we did that was completely unique and still is um, in that we deliver content up front for brands to select. Um, and if you like it, you buy it. And if you don't, you don't. Okay, so it's like a, an asset bank. Exactly. We mm. kind of think of it, it's almost like an on-demand stock image library where you can retain the assets um, just like you would with Getty Custom or um, Shutterstock. But you can also ask that person to um, broadcast that message to their audience as well. Okay, interesting. And you've got a, you've got like a, a portal area that brands can log into and and use this, right? Exactly. It's completely self-serve online. And then our creators have an app um, that they use. And yeah, it's uh, I think we, we send something like 50 briefs a week live. It's like a thousand pieces of content a day we now see submitted through the platform. And most brands complete their platform in between 24 and 48 hours, which is you know, unprecedented speed mm. because it's just such a natural behaviour for creators to want to create amazing content and we just want to give them that opportunity. That's fascinating. And in terms of the, so for example, if I'm an influencer and, you know, one of the, you know, one of the people that's using the platform, do I, so do I get paid per piece of content or is it like a subscription or does it vary based on who you are and what you do? So influencers set their own fee and they get 100% of that fee. So mm -hmm. they can negotiate with brands back and forth, but we give an indicative rate card of what we've seen um, per, I guess, tier gets mm -hmm. paid. And, and on yeah. average, it's about £200 for a post if you've got around 30,000 followers. Okay. But that can range anywhere from spending 30 quid on the post all the way up to we've seen £5,000 posts with, you know, I guess more in the celebrity talent bracket, um, people who have up to a million followers or you know, or more, but um, yeah, basically it's very transparent. Tribe takes a fee on top of that, and that's the model. If you want to license, the creator gets paid again for the right to license that content, and more importantly, they're asked their consent and their permission to do that. Yeah. Which um, again is quite unique. There are a lot of platforms that kind of roll all that into to one term and condition to to, to use the platform or anything. But um, you know, we make sure from a both from a brand safety perspective and a creative safety perspective, that there's a lot of um, both opt-ins and rewards for creators who aren't necessarily professionals. You know, they are everyday people being rewarded properly and being educated properly on the the value of their content. Yeah, it sounds very admin heavy in terms of like you know actually getting these briefs out and then getting the content in. Is that down to the you know the technology itself, or you've got a team of you know project managers, account managers that deal with all this? How does it work? I mean, at the beginning, it it was hard work, you know, because we didn't have enough creators in our platform that understood how to use it, nor did we brands and what their expectations were. But now, I mean, it takes literally less than 10 minutes to put a brief live. It gets um, quality checked by our team to make sure that creators would want to respond to it, that they can understand it. Yeah. But it's all, it's all in that brief, you know, you put mood board images in there that show exactly what you want. Creators look at it and think, is that me, is that not? And like I said, you know, 25% of our briefs get submissions within the first 15 minutes. Wow. Um, and if, if your product is accessible, you know, common sense applies, obviously. But oftentimes, you know, we've had Cathedral City during lockdown talking about how cheese makes a meal better. You know, people can do that in a matter of minutes, mm. shoot the content, and they're so good at it. Yeah. Um, and then brands just get an inbox full of content that essentially looks like scrolling through Tinder and swiping left and right and asking for any moderations if you need. But um, with things like bulk actions and support from our team, 
yeah, it's not not as admin heavy as you as you'd think. That's amazing. So the when you're going to um to, to new influencers etc. So do they they come to you and then they sign up? Is that the process or? Yeah, we're lucky. You know, it's all it's pretty organic on that side. We're number one in the app store, and you know, for anyone who thinks that they want to turn their hand at being the content creator, that's the first place they look. Mm. So as long as we keep our ratings high and um, get good reviews, we're in a great spot on the creator side, and um, they often refer creators that they know that might fit the brief. You know, they might mm -hmm. see. Um, a brand looking for specific types of talent that they don't fit and they'll just pass it on to, to friends of theirs. So the, the creator growth side has been completely organic and we now have something like 65,000 creators across the world um, who are actively submitting to briefs. But it doesn't really matter. You know, a brand's not going to be able to work with 65,000 creators in one yeah. campaign. They don't have the budgets for that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's always about making sure that we have the right types of creators to match what the brand requires. Yeah, definitely. So you guys, so you're based in the UK and Australia, right? And um, we just launched in the US as well. And I said just probably about twelve months ago, but <laughs> feels new, right? Nothing anymore, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is nothing? <laughs> Absolutely. So th there are other competitors then doing similar to what you're doing. Yeah, it's a really. I mean, with any kind of new channel, it becomes a really. I mean, a highly competitive and an ultra complex space because all the models are different. We we would say we are a, a SaaS enabled marketplace. So mm -hmm. we um, we are so software as a service for brands. You know, they subscribe to our platform. We have first party data through Facebook. We have the sort of end to end, you know, brief to execution um, workflow solution. And on top of that, we have things like content libraries that they can go back into over time. Um, and access at any point and share with their teams globally. So we're a sort of marketing tech solution for brands, but on, on the creator side, we're a marketplace mm -hmm. you know, where they can pitch their work um, to brands that they feel they want to work with. But, but in the space, we compete with agencies and we, we compete with tech-enabled agencies that either do one part of that process. They might do sourcing influences and giving brands lists of creators they can work with. Yeah. They might just do the execution piece they might just do measurement or brand safety. Um, but for us, you know, we really want to solve for time. You know, we think the most valuable thing that a brand manager has is time. Yeah. Um, and it's super precious and we don't want them to have to work with just one part of the process, mm -hmm. i.e. finding influencers but then spending time DMing them and emailing yeah. their response or vendor payments or, you know, all of the admin that does come with working with a, a multitude of creators Mm -hmm. um instead of you know one or two yeah so yeah we yeah we compete with all sorts of agencies and um tech platforms but no one really does i'd say the full 360 yeah makes sense yeah i think you know it answers the brief of everything being you know immediate um, in this day and age everything wants everything now I think you know I did uh, another podcast the other day and they're talking about how you know they want Amazon parcels to arrive in an hour not in a day um, so yeah you definitely answer that brief so in terms of the the agency itself then so how many people are in uh, the UK now about 10 in the UK and probably 60 globally um, okay wow you know most of that being a product team because we are we're a tech company and yeah. an agency so um, so about two thirds of that is product related, and then we have sales and um, like operations in Australia, the UK, and the US. So was the was the product launched straight away when you guys first set up as a business, um, or did that come later on down the line? No, it, yeah, the platform existed in, in you know a version, but 
as in any marketplace, you know, you've always got to have supply and demand mm. uh, equal each other. And it was quite difficult. It's like, it's very chicken and egg. Do you bring the creators into the platform, but there are no brands there? Or do you bring brands in and then try and source creators for them? Yeah. Um, so at the beginning it was, you know, it was really slow to build that momentum, but um but then, yeah, it kind of runs itself down. So the 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 founder that you mentioned, um, in terms of being a, a D list celebrity, so two founders. No, just one. Sorry. One founder. So um, is he still involved? He is actually. Um, he's he's really involved. That's good. And I always thought that was quite normal, but it seems to be not the case with startups. But he mm. um he he's almost like a, a chief marketing officer for us. He's very much you know, of the brand, our positioning. Um, and it would be silly for us to not really utilise his superpower, which is in, in PR and he's done years of emceeing and he's done dancing on ice and all sorts of things. <laughs> so he's a real character. Yeah. Um, but his thick Australian accent doesn't seem to translate so much in the UK. Okay. People, every time he presents, ask us if we've launched yet. Um, so that's always a bit of humble pie <laughs> for him. Yeah, the UK market just not 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 taking to him there. <laughs> they don't take to Australia. <laughs> I always forget that I have an Australian accent as well. I think he's the issue, but um, no, he, uh, he he's super involved, and it's 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 really nice to have someone again like with with that much skin in the game. But I think the the only reason he's still involved is because he has equal parts high and low ego. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's really he wants to be challenged. He empowers everybody around him. Um, everyone really buys into, you know, the vision of what our platform can can kind of do to democratize advertising. Yeah. So moving on to the, uh, I suppose the Australia to UK transition for you. What was that like? And on, on like a business sense, is it different? Yeah. I mean, the cool thing is like Australians always think that UK experiences uh, is really significant and really impressive so I, I kind of had the the idea of coming here to get a good job and leverage it when I go back home um but then just fell in love with London um and I think it's because it's and maybe it's my perception but it feels w- way more um of a meritocracy than than in Australia mm. Australia is very um, small, everyone knows each other. You know, I know the advertising and creative industry, media industry in general is very network based, but yeah. it's just supercharged in Australia. Mm. Um, and for me, you know, I'm very much of the belief that hard work and dedication should yield results and success for people as opposed to anything else. So I think I quite liked that I was in uncomfortable waters and uncharted territories for me. I could just come in without anyone knowing who I am or, you know, who I know or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and and no no where to fall back on. So mm. that kind of puts me in my best, um, you know, just perform at my best is where I really feel really challenged and pushed. Um, so, yeah, there's no, kind of no turning back for me now from, from a business sense. And then I think it's just so resourced. You know, in, in Australia there's a digital a digital person on an agency team who does all the planning and buying, you know, and and here it's just explode, you know, explosive in terms of how many teams and agencies can be involved in one campaign, mm. um, which has its challenges, but equally just presents a lot of great opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we find as well in terms of collaboration. Obviously, you know, we're completely different in terms of brand and design. We're uh, more traditional in that sense, but we find partnering with other agencies, especially, you know, across 
multi-faceted campaigns mean that they, you know, the creative's the best it can be, um, and it's the most enjoyable as well. So, and um, so back on to the basics of influencer marketing. What you've done at Tribe, what would you say stands out as the most, you know, either effective campaign or really summarizes nicely in terms of the Tribe business model around non, you know, not necessarily. Uh, the the celebrity culture. What was a campaign that you know was amazing? Oh, that is so hard because we you know the nature of the beast is we do run just so many campaigns, um, and because we are you know we we don't as act, act as an agency and get involved in the strategy a lot of the time. You know yeah. we are voyeuristic in a sense. We just mm-hmm. watch them happen and, and understand and learn. But I would say. Um, there's not there's not a type of campaign that hasn't been run with Tribe in terms of social activism or startups trying to get a name for themselves and having great success. Um, but what I have really enjoyed watching lately is just honestly it is it is the speed it is the speed of which things can you know a new story can happen and a brand can kind of get on board make a pivot um, and maintain their relevance in, in how they're going to market. Mm. So you know we had a campaign. Um, with Pantene Pro-V or Pantene yeah I was about to correct you (laughs) (laughs) and they they, you know they put a brief line and the next day I think they had something like 45 different creators approved Um, there's a new ad format that Facebook have as well which allows you to kind of immediately boost creator posts uh, where they look at they've come from the creator and not from the brand Um, and the immediacy which we're seeing brands turn that into sales is outstanding. So obviously with, with, with COVID, with, you know, retail challenges, with production challenges, it's been great to to see brands, I guess, pivot to, to, to e-com and D2C really, really quickly where they're being forced to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also to be able to manage all of the agile live challenges that any marketer does with stock levels, with, you know, communications, with, live updates from the government um, and, you know, kind of maintain real-time relevancy with social audiences. I I like that. I'm a bit of a marketing geek. I like that stuff. Mm. Um, It's kind of that mecha state of where you can bring data and creative together and actually act in real time. It's what people theoretically talk about. So it's nice to see when it happens and the impact it has. Yeah, absolutely. And when when there's a platform measuring it all as well, that's super effective. So... um, you know, post COVID, then when we're looking forward to the future now, what do you think the next twelve months looks like? In either you know, on a general level around influencer marketing, or for you know, tribe in general. Hmm. Well, I mean, pubs are open again, so <laughs> that's on a personal a level. Slump. <laughs> <laughs> Expecting that? No, no, no. Um, I, I, I think that the pivot to not even just digital, but to, to e-commerce that a lot of brands have had to make is going to be permanent because. I think consumer behaviours will have a permanent change. You know, you talked about immediacy before. I think that's just supercharged that for people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Facebook, Instagram, they've moved slowly, but they've done some really interesting things throughout this period in terms of donation stickers and uh, helping small businesses set up their shops. Mm. Um, you know, my prediction is that Facebook probably buy Shopify um, and just create this this supercharged uh, social version of Amazon, yeah. um, which they're, they're very well positioned to do. And I think you can see with all of the trends around social commerce and e-commerce coming out of, um, you know, 
markets like China, mm. um, influencers do you know play a really pivotal role in the, the sales process yeah. um, and the discovery process for, for consumers. You know, mm-hmm. I know I turn to Instagram when I'm looking for things all the time. I yeah. curate my own style there, and um, you know, it's a very powerful channel to drive consumer behavior mm-hmm. um and i think that it's going to change radically and influence is going to have a massive role to play in that because they'll become sort of shoppable window fronts of the high street but online yeah and then what about personally for you next five years what's going on for lisa target i hate that question yeah well, you, yeah, well you've got it <laughs> <laughs> all right because i never know um you know like i said i'll always i'll always look to be challenged and, you know, work in a space that really interests me and that I think is progressive and that can mean progressive on a number of different fronts, but obviously still be in business and, you know, but I think I would, there's a bit of an awakening happening with, with everyone generally, which is, you know, how can I make sure what I do every day is part of the solution? Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of things in culturally and in society that, that need fixing. And I think the best thing about, entrepreneurs and startups and you know, tech companies is that they're in a really good place to solve all of those problems yeah. so um you know wh- wherever that leads me um that's where i'll be and i'll be trying to do a lot of that change at tribe in the meantime yeah that's amazing and I, yeah i think it's it's all, all more important and in terms in terms of authenticity that is where you know social comes into its own and i think do, do you think there is a bit of an issue with that at the moment especially on i don't know if you guys cover you know twitter or um you know around that area it, it seems you know there is it feels a bit like a, a dogfight on twitter at the moment there's a lot of lot of very negative content do you think authenticity when it comes to influencer marketing do you think it's in question more than ever yeah well i mean even you know today there was news around i don't know when you'll post this but today there was news around patagonia um pulling down their ads off facebook in july for the um, stop hate for profit campaign that they've joined with a few other brands i think vans and timberland are getting involved in that as well um there are major issues with social media by nature, the sort of infrastructure that's been set up, but there is also a lot of good. Mm-hmm. Um, and you saw, you know, this week the sort of a trolling TikTok campaign done to inflate the numbers that were going to go to one of Trump's rallies, and then um, you know he showed up and it was like ten percent of the capacity he expected, and that was that was a an instance of social activism. And yeah. I think if there's anything I I do know, it's that I, there's not a creator out there or someone who has a platform at least that I see through Tribe, who um, doesn't take that responsibility seriously and, you know, feels that they need to advocate for positive change. Um, There's been a lot of positive change I've seen from a mental health perspective on social, um, you know, where we don't don't work with brands that talk about uh, cosmetic surgery or uh, rapid weight loss and things like that. Mm -hmm. And the the next wave we saw was brands really aligning with values around sustainability and green packaging this year and veganism and and I think political activism and is the next wave that we'll see where it's really important for brands to have a role and creators are the ones with a trusted voice to say yep yeah, you know what I've, I've done the research and I advocate and stand with this brand as well who shares my values but actually has the resource to help me change so I think I think social can be a real force for good. Yeah, I mean, but there are some issues that the platforms definitely need to address. 
do you think that's in terms of regulation then, in terms of policing content? That's a, that's a hard question, you know, is it like, is it, because I, I, I do believe in the democratic nature of the platforms as long as it's used properly, mm. you know, as long as people, you know, do flag negative content and and also know what negative content is, yeah. you know, there are, if you go back to mental health, a lot of people struggle with um, negative feelings or anxious feelings when they scroll Instagram, but they, you know, because they scroll for too long and they're looking at the wrong types of content, so... I'm really passionate about helping improve, you know, for me, everything starts with education and you've got to help educate you know, young generations about media consumption and about um, having a, a balanced view of the media and, and being critical of what they consume and absorb in terms of where that information comes from or what, what bias. Yeah. Um, and then checking their own circle, you know, making sure that they are getting a representative view of the world um, if they're going to be spending that much time. But, I think it's a fool's errand to to try and dismantle it or move against it. Yeah. Because you know, if you talk to anyone in younger generations, it's just part of of who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's part of culture, isn't it? But yeah, as you say, I think you know, in terms of actually policing it, it's actually yeah, educating around what what you should be posting personally, and then that leads to what you're consuming, um, and rather than you and know, obviously, I'm happy to police the stuff that incredibly <laughs> like, incites violence and yeah. is hateful for sure. But that's um, easier to filter. <laughs> it's a bigger, it's above our pay grade that one, Chris. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> so, what would be your advice to brands moving forwards now? Then, obviously, other than you know, you need to use the tri platform. You know, we, we've talked about being ethical, being authentic, being, you know, the speed of um, of response. But, you know, what would be your, yeah, what would be your advice in the next either? The thing is, things are moving so quickly. It's almost like, what's your advice in the next three months, let alone a year? Yeah, I mean, it depends who we speak to. A lot of brands we actually happily will turn away because, um, you know, their expectations of, of influence marketing are just not, not aligned. Yeah. Um, but... I would say the, the the shift of the theme that I'm talking to a lot of brands about this year is that there essentially is no difference between organic and paid social, mm-hmm. um, especially if Instagram is a channel that you know converts for you. Yes, there's opportunity with organic right now on TikTok, and we've seen it a million times before. As a platform tries to grow, the way they do it is to grow the audiences of their creators and help their creators make money and bring audiences there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it just turns to pay to play like anything else does. Yeah. So what you're seeing with Instagram is, um, you know, organic reach is declining. Instagram's um, diverting creators into more short form vertical video, which aligns and competes with platforms like TikTok. Um, and brands need to understand how, I guess how the how creative is changing in terms of it's not static posts anymore. It's a lot of vertical video, mm-hmm. and be ahead and testing and in line with that. And then also understand that um, paid and organic channels have to work hand in hand. You know because you're either paying for organic reach or you're paying for targeted reach. Um, but it's not you know sort of already gone to the days where you want to be measuring a, a, a campaign just on engagement. Yeah, um, you have to look at it. I guess, through a, a different lens. Mm-hmm. So focusing more on you, um, so what is what is your role at um, Tribe then? So general manager, what does that what does that encapsulate? I don't think I've ever had a role that literally 
does what it says on the tin. Yeah. Like I, have, I generally manage things. Um, I would say my <laughs> role is so variable every single day. Yeah. Um, and in a startup, as you can imagine, I mean, the, the, the speed at which our company continues to pivot and, you know, the market moves that we have to move, Instagram changes that we have to change. You know, I feel like I've lived, a, you know, a multitude of different careers in one job. Yeah. But generally, I manage, um, you know, growth of, of the UK market um, and, and, to be honest, broadly uh, across the EMEA as well. Um, but, you know, I was one of the first employees at Tribe, definitely one of the first on the ground here in the UK. Yeah. And it, it's just so variable. Being part of a startup is just like nothing I would have ever expected before because, you know, we we dealt with posts, you know, just Instagram posts and then stories came on board. And then, you know, now we're dealing with, you know, do we want to venture into TikTok? We, we purposely didn't look at Snapchat a while ago because we didn't think it fit what brands really required. And we're still, you know, we're thinking the same about TikTok. So the industry moves and now it's moving into shoppable commerce and that's providing a whole new discipline and a whole new area of opportunity for influence marketing. So what I do every day changes and then, you know, how I do it, we thought we would be a really, you know, strong um, partner for agencies, but we're finding more brands are in-housing and looking to bring technology inside. Um, We didn't realise how much impact we would have for brands during COVID because... Mm -hmm all of a sudden production shoots were closed and they couldn't get access to fresh content, Mm. nor could they get access to content that actually reflected what consumers were going through. Um, And we're seeing that again with, you know, with Black Lives Matter sort of re-emerging and and coming to the forefront of everyone's minds, um, rightly so, and and then a broader conversation around diversity inclusion. It's amazing how many brands have come straight back into old inboxes of campaigns that they've run and, you know, are heroing, um, all different types of creators to, you know, to make statements because I think, so, you know, so many brands have they struggle with how quickly the market moves, and I'd be I'd be silly to say that I don't do the exact same thing every day in my role mm. um, in in trying to continue to provide the right solution. It's it's just not linear anymore, is it? Yeah, so, of course. Lots of variety. That's that's good. Spice of life, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, how did you get into influencer marketing? How how did that come about? Uh, I actually was a customer of Tribes um, in, in a former role where we were trying to pull together, you know, as a as a news publisher, um, different avenues to 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 drive, you know, our advertisers' messages to audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, we had our own social channels, but we also knew that there was this rising um, interest in content marketing and native content, social media, and so. We used to partner with Tribe as extensions to big advertising multi-channel campaigns that we did, and that's how I got to know Tribe. And then, you know, I moved to London, Tribe moved to London, and kind of one thing led to another, and I ended up in the role. But as with anything, you end up landing it, don't you? It's not that purposeful. It's always it's always a bit of a blag at the beginning, and then you know you're in it. Yeah, <laughs> you've taken on that name now. You know, no more, but no more BLT. You're now the Queen. Um, <laughs> So what were you what were you doing pre prior to influencer marketing? Was it more traditional agency side role then? Yeah, no, it was always publisher side, always sales. Okay. Um, for sort of the di- digital outlets of newspapers. So back, it was Telegraph and in Australia with Channel Nine and Microsoft, where sort of again 
big multi-channel partnerships. Um, and then, yeah, I always knew I wanted to specialise, but for me, I just I just like to be where something new is happening. Yeah. I think that's where I'm most interested. And, um, yeah, you could tell the tide was turning towards something. And for me, Tribe just ticked a lot of boxes in the type of business it was as yeah. opposed to anything else. So were you looking for a startup when you joined Tribe? I was looking for a challenge. Yeah. Um, I guess the startup environment definitely presented that, but mm. without the accountability of being a founder or entrepreneur myself, <laughs> it's a nice place to dip your toe in. You yeah. being a, a business owner, you yeah. know, I can't imagine the stresses of that, but it's quite nice kind of having so much commitment and skin in the game mm. but without it 100% yeah. being your baby, which is... Um, yeah, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. why hadn't i thought of that no i think it's it's interesting because you know when we're when we're recruiting um to join our team we always ask people in interviews like you know do you you know is it a particular desire to work in a startup because you know as you say your role changes all the time mainly because of the sector you're in and the you know the the social media landscape but for us it's like actually you know to work in a startup you need to you need to put your hand to a bit of everything um, and it's a tricky, tricky thing to find. So it's always good when someone wants to join someone that is leading change or is trying to do things differently, which is you know, the nature of a startup business. And then finally, what would be your advice to a wannabe influencer? So I want, so I've got 800 followers, yeah, on, uh, on, on the Love Gun. Yeah, for me as Love Gun, all right? So we've got 800 or so followers. I can't remember how many. How am I growing that to the 3,000 mark so then I can be an influencer? What am I doing? Well, my advice is it's far more costly to acquire a follower than it is to retain one. Yeah. So for, for up-and-coming careers, you're in such a position of advantage because you can actually engage with your community and you can understand what resonates and what doesn't. And you can ask them what they want to see more or less of. Mm-hmm. You get a full understanding of why people follow you and you can also get rid of people who are there for the wrong reasons. Um, whereas that does get a bit out of control uh, as your audiences grow and naturally you can't have the same potency with your communication. So I would say focus on who you've got um, and the natural network effects kind of get built in from there and you'll, you'll see the growth. Interesting. All right, well, I'll uh, I'll pay your consultancy fees for that uh <laughs> For that little bite. No. My <laughs> followers. That's what I can tell you because the amount of accounts we have to block every day that buy followers and we have to educate on why that's not okay. Um, yeah. It's yeah. Do, do you know what? That is an interesting point because we have a, a we, we had a client that will remain unnamed who uh, they bought a load of followers and they had over 10,000 and their engagement was like three or four likes a post. Um, they bought a load of bots, so that is that is a nightmare when it comes to a brand. Then, for sure, because you know brands have to diversify. It's not just about getting engagement. It's like how do you turn that into some sort of commercial value, mm. um, and how do you yield more from each loyal customer that you have? You know, yeah. and that means you know you see so many brands be really successful with product development based on their follower, like the fat Jewish. You know, he just went out to his audience and said like what would you want to see in an alcohol brand? They came up with like rosé in a can, you know, oh, wow, and they're yeah. doing ridiculous sales just because, you know, you start with the, the customer and if you've got that direct customer channel, that's such an advantage. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Well, yeah, as I said, totally fascinated by the space and I think, um, you know, when when 
you meant when someone says influencer marketing, people think you know Cristiano Ronaldo with his 170 or so brands that he's an ambassador for, or you know the 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 A-list celebrities, or you know, or on another level, the the unethical Towie star that's um, you know. Uh, that's flogging weight loss pills. So I think the work that you guys are doing is really important and really interesting. And I think, yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna reap more and more reward, uh, rewards with this with this um, yeah this focus on authenticity. But yeah, very interesting. Thank you so much for your time. We like to finish the podcast. We've talked about Lisa. Now we're gonna give someone else the floor. Who would you like to give a tribute to as a bit of a big up? Do you know what? This person's only very recently come into my life, but um, Liam Mullins at Seven Stars is an absolute legend. Um, you know, he is an advocate for you know media for everyone, and or I should say, um, this organisation that's really helping conversations with business leaders and agency folk and how they're managing clients and customers around Black Lives Matter in diversity inclusion in the workplace and how to make media a lot more representative. Um, he's running webinars every week. He's got, um, he's built out this huge mentor network um, of people that are making a lot of meaningful action in our industry and, and he's just a good bloke. So Amazing, love that. So big up to Liam Mullins, is that correct? Big up Liam Mullins, uh, keep up the good work. Lisa, uh, thanks so much for your time and speak soon. Thanks, mate. Cheers. You've been listening to FYI, the podcast featuring the biggest challenges in business and marketing. FYI was brought to you by Lovegun, an award-winning branding and design agency based in London. Subscribe, follow and share on Apple Podcasts or Spotify for plenty more where this came from.